This is Linux Unplugged, Episode 5, for September 10th, 2013. Episode 5. This is the show, probably the only show, airing on a Tuesday that won't be talking about the new internet phone 5S because we're Linux users. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. Welcome back, man. Episode number 5. We've crossed the month mark and we've got an interesting show coming up because we're going to try something new. Later on in the show, we're going to do a recap of DS9. Just because I've been re-embracing DS9, I thought this would be a good spot since we have a no-format show to just talk about it. And I grabbed some clippy clips. So we'll be talking about that later on. But up first, we've got some follow-up to last week's show. And uh, also today, Linus was causing a ruckus on the internet. We're going to talk about that. And then maybe we'll kind of tuck and roll into a little chat about the NSA. It's been These NSA topics have been blown up on our subreddit and the Linux subreddit and on discussion forums. I think it's really particularly affecting Linux users because we're a little more savvy. And then one of our favorite companies, GOG, or Good Old Games, uh, made a proclamation about their future Linux support. And it's not very good. So we'll talk about not that. Not so No, no. Not too happy about that. Uh, but Matt, uh, I thought maybe just kind of just going to spring this one on you, okay? Okay. We, You and I have been debating. We're doing a Friday Linux action show this week. We're going to, because uh, we're going to give you a little time off for the, uh, for the, for the up and coming birthday. And I'm going to enjoy myself a Sunday off. So it's kind of, you know, just nice to just change it up from time to time. And we've been kind of debating, like, well, what should we do as a topic? Because really Friday and Saturday are kind of the days that are used to put you know, an episode of Linux Action Show together. Because there's a lot of work that goes into yeah. it. And so, yeah, we're trying to find something that's going to basically f- be of yeah. interest, but at the same time, not uh, create a problem. Right, yeah, because there's other shows that have to be in production. So there's not like there's a ton of time. And so we come up with a, two topics, this possible topics this week. And I like them both a lot. And obviously, um, I'm particular to, to one, but I got I to gotta acknowledge maybe the rest of the audience wouldn't. So I thought maybe what we could do is put it to a straw poll. Like, we put it to the oh. audience right now listening live on the show, and they vote on what the topic is on Friday on the Friday edition of the Linux Action Show. What do you think? Are you down for that? I like that. I think that's a great democratic way to do it. All right. So not only can people bang suggest to help vote for a title in this week's episode, but now you're going to pick the big show's topic on Friday. I just put the straw poll in the show notes. Okay, here are your topics. Are you ready, chat room? Your choices are, on a Friday edition of the Linux Action Show, should it be Trek meets Linux? Or taking great notes on Linux. So we have two topic ideas. The Star Trek one is sort of like Star Trek meets Linux. Here's a bunch of great Star Trek themes, Star Trek apps, Star Trek oriented things around Linux. Sort of in just having fun with the fact that Unplugged just kind of started the Star Trek segment. So in the big show, we'd do a bunch of Star Trek related stuff in Linux. Tons of fun there. Or should we focus in on taking great notes on Linux? There's a couple of different options out there. Some, some really, really good open source projects that are trying to tackle this. And there, you know, to be fair, there's a lot of closed source competition like Evernote and, uh, and, you know, even things like Google Drive can be kind of used for notes. So this is one of those things where, um, I think with school kind of starting back up, that could also be a popular topic. And also for people who are using Linux in the professional space or for people who just want to get a little more organized. Um, so kind of, you know, not that we wouldn't necessarily do one or the other down the road. But this Friday, just this Friday, you guys get to pick in the chat room, and then we'll check back on this as we go. Right now, we've got only twelve votes, so we're gonna let it. We'll let it flush out for a while, okay. and then uh, we'll check back in uh, towards the end of the show. Although I gotta tell you that sometimes early votes are an indicator. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The warp speed ahead's pulling ahead right now with sixty nine percent. I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't. Uh, if it doesn't really, if the overall percentages don't change much. It could, yeah. It's, it's really going to be interesting to see where that plays out. And I could be totally wrong, and it could go the other way. If you're so. listening to the audio feed or or something like that and you're not in the chat room, go to strawpoll.me, and it's 42-14-77. And then you can vote. And uh, part of the notes thing, too, has kind of been that uh, getting off the other cloud services. So that might not, that could always be a topic we touch on in the future. Exactly. In the future. In All the right, future. Matt. Well, uh, this week, uh, I thought we'd kind of start with uh, Linus sort of lighting up the internet again, like he often does. He's got uh, sort of a way of word with words, you might say. 
He's like a digital fart with a lighter sometimes. He just lets one go and he just ignites it and it just happens, right? I mean, the, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not sure which part is the fart and which part is the lighter, but I think you might have gotten it. <laughs> and some people just like the fart and lighter joke. Some people love a good fart and lighter joke. I personally do. I oh, think I'm all about uh, it. I think I could watch that several times a day on YouTube, but uh <laughs> Before we get to that, and this is even better, this also is lighting the world on fire because, friends, Ting is mobile that makes sense. Ting is my mobile service provider, and Matt's are both right. rocking some pretty nice Android devices on Ting. And one of the great things about Ting is you only actually end up paying for what you use. And this is pretty powerful because often a lot of us geeks have multiple devices. Well, guess what? Unlimited devices on your account with a po- with all with a pooled plan. So if you've got a family plan, a business plan, if you need to test multiple devices, if you're a developer or a support specialist, you need to have several types of devices. I used to have three Blackberries back when Blackberries rang. Uh, during the random <laughs> I still Blackberry. have a Blackberry. I still have my AT&T Blackberry. Now, thankfully, back yeah. then uh, I was an employee, so my work paid for it. Uh, uh-huh. But they were they were uh, they were probably um, they would have been a perfect company to take advantage of this plan for a small business that Ting has. Is first of all, they just break out your minutes, your text message, and your megabytes, and they bill you at the end of the month for whatever bucket you fall into. Okay, well, so you know if I don't use a device, I'm six flat dollars for that line. There's no guilt there. That's less than me buying two apps in the Android marketplace this week. I don't, I mean, I don't really have a big issue with that. And I think it's a really fantastic way. We could have phones on standby. If you got somebody going out in the field, you send a phone with them. If you need to test for an application you're developing on, you know, one of the things that we do here at Jupiter Broadcasting is a ton of video streaming. Well, guess what? Video streaming behaves extremely differently on different mobile devices. You wouldn't think so. But it does. HLS support is a little spotty. So it's been it's been nice from time to time to have multiple Android devices to test on. If we were going to go on to a big mobile push, this would be a must do. And Ting really makes this possible. And if you go to Linux.Ting.com, you're going to save twenty five dollars off your first device or twenty five dollars off of your first month. If you bring your own device, they've got a spot on their website that tells you all the different devices you can bring. If you've got a Sprint phone, there's a good chance you can get it ported over and they'll tell you how that works. Now, also, this is really interesting. They'll also sell you some used devices. They've got the LG Optimus Black for 68 bucks. That's not a bad entry Android phone. They've got a Ting personal shopper that'll find you um, a, a device that meets your requirements. They've also got the LG Marquee Refurbished, which is a great uh, little, like, um, kid's phone for 87 bucks. It still plays all the modern Android games. You know, there's a lot of options they've got new and used. And, of course, new... They've got the uh, new. Uh, they've got the LG Optimus Purple, which is a great deal after your uh, after your discount supply. It's like two hundred and thirty bucks, uh, contract free, with no early termination fee, no ride along services, nothing you wouldn't expect. Just your rate that you pay and any taxes they legally have to charge. Ting is a really great and very transparent company. You should check out their blog too. They talk about a lot of the stuff and and sort of the thought behind a lot of what they do. It's pretty cool. So go to Linux.Ting.com to save twenty five dollars off your first device. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Remember, people love Ting. And I'm pretty sure you're people too. So it's a good right. fit. It's a good fit. <laughs> All right. So, Linus, uh, so are you kind of – are you following like the revel- NSA revelations that have come out regarding um, potential uh, backdoors into crypto standards? Have you caught any of this? It's kind of one of the more later revelations. Fo- yeah, I've been following some of it. I, you know, so after a while, it just almost becomes depressing. It does, but right? I, but I've been passively following just so I'm at least – Yeah, and it. I've been interested too to see this stuff continue to roll out even though yeah. Syria has been dominating the headlines. This NSA stuff is still getting some coverage. Well, so uh, about four days ago uh, with 42 upvotes in our subreddit, uh, this one hit the, uh, hit the subreddit. NSA foils much internet crypt- encryption. And uh, this one's actually from the New York Times, too, which kind of gives it an extra little stamp of credibility because a lot of times um, the New York Times is is almost an authorized leak in some senses. But uh, so this stirred up this big concern about the NSA working with standards bodies to sort of weaken the standards so that the NSA knew how to actively attack it and then foil that encryption. So it's sort of a it's sort of a combinated approach where the NS, the NSA is getting keys from some service providers, so they just have the SSL key. So that's one way they can decrypt it. And it's also a combination of weak encryption, improperly implemented encryption, and then encryption where they have influenced the standard in such of how it's performed. Now, there's a device in Linux which will generate random numbers that you can use to seed um, like something new, like a generation of a new key or something like that, right? And so the concern that the community came up with was that the standard that influenced how these random number generators was affected has been implemented in Linux. And so people were kind of like banging on Linus's door 
Uh, Mr. Torvalds, uh, <laughs> could you please wake up and smell the coffee, Mr. Torvalds? Uh, please. In fact, um, and I, I kind of agree with him, uh, uh, Vertimunda in the uh, subreddit said, it's time to start taking RMS seriously. For decades, he's been warning us that this is what will happen if we court proprietary software and services to the detriment of privacy and freedom to express ourselves in an un fettered fashion i.e. people buying these fancy smartphones that are essentially listening devices in fact uh in the in the in, an, in a separate uh, report that ran um some N- some new nsa slides came out about their ability to track smartphones and uh, they had three slides up where they were making references to how uh, smartphone users are zombies particularly they're making fun of the uh, location bug that was in ios for right. that was keeping your location indefinitely and the nsa was actively exploiting that they knew about that and they were using that and they had on a slide they had um 1984 who knew he would be big brother and they had a picture of steve jobs implying that the implementation of the iphone has ushered in big brother However, I believe that's a bit of a misdirection because really it's the NSA who's big brother. They're right. just exploiting that technology to do it. And they're exactly. exploiting Android, and they also have an active group that exploits BlackBerry. And so all of this has just made everybody explode. Is, you know, has, crypto, has cryptology been um, you know, has it, it, uh, sabotaged? Well, and here, here's my view of it. There's, there's two real important things to consider. For one thing, if someone wants in – to a home or into a file or into whatever it may be badly enough, they're going to get in. I don't care what you're using, how you're doing. It does not matter, and we're seeing that now. At some level, the right people will be influenced. The right set of circumstances will be laid out, and things will be overcome. Um, so that, that's the problem I've always had with really getting heavy into the encryption and stuff like that is that it's great if you want to keep ISPs out of your back door if you get my drift. But as far as the government, they're, they're always going to find a way. Yeah. It's just I don't see any way around that. I mean it's a, no, it's a novel idea that I would love to think happens, but we're a nation here in the states that has been very vocal in that, oh, please, we're more than happy to trade – our security and give you our freedom. We, we don't need that freedom. We want our security. We want ease of use. We want sexy phones. We want a fun experience. Security, we'll, we'll talk big about it, but we won't actually take it seriously. That's, yeah. my, that's my opinion. And that's why RMS has never really been taken seriously by the mainstream because it's not a sexy argument. Right. It's not attractive. Right. They almost just don't really care. Yeah, I mean, um, they, yeah. they do passively, but not enough to act on it. Yeah. It's like, well, you, it's like, you know, you got to stop eating junk food. Well, I can do that. Ooh, wait a minute. You mean I can't have a Big Mac? You know, it's that kind of mindset of, uh, you know, you don't get to do those things that were enjoyable. Um, it, it's a tough call. Right. You're right. Yeah. It's just, it is, all, in some ways, it is all these warnings about sugar, about unhealthy lifestyles. And yet here I am sitting, you know, 10 days, yeah. uh, 10 hours a day minimum, maybe, maybe more in my, in my seat. And, exactly. Uh, you know, right. Yeah, not getting the right exercise and and often cheating on 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 a diet because you know I I want to and yeah it's it it is it's sort of the same it is hard to have that same um it's almost the same kind of weakness in a sense. My, my solution, honestly, is a very simple one. In that you know t- RMS is pretty much a hard line, hard direction. That's really a tough act to follow, and it's tough to follow up on. But I think we can make personal choices and personal decisions in our life to minimize. Our participation in that kind of police state. Yeah. We're not going to eliminate it. That's right. not going to happen. Right. But you can you can minimize that. Yeah, you I don't can, think uh, there's any going back, you know? really. No, but no. you can, you know, be be aware of who you're voting for. Uh, be aware of what you're participating in. Really, you know, be, be aware of it. My Just new campaign kind of, you know. is unplug from the surveillance grid. Go local first. Whenever you can go local first, go local, unless sure. it's not private. Now, exactly. so, but there are enough people who started banging on Linus's door, and there was a petition for him to remove the Artie Rand from dev random which is where this implementation was that people are concerned about so uh it gets on hacker news and linus which i believe this comment's now been deleted by him or by somebody uh Mm. responded to this petition with where do i start a petition to raise the iq of kernel knowledge of people guys go read the drivers (laughs) of charrandom.c then learn about cryptography finally come back here and admit to the world that you were wrong short answer we actually know what we are doing you don't long answer we use RDRAND and one of many inputs into the random pool, and we use it as a way to improve that random pool. So even if RDRAND were to be backdoored by the NSA, our use of RDRAND actually improves the quality of the random numbers you get from dev slash random. And the really short answer, you're ignorant. <laughs> God, I love Linus. <laughs> and the great thing is it's open. It's open code. So, of course, right. um, you know, shortly after that, 
People went and posted what they found uh, right where Linus told them to look. And it, uh, from the from the couple handful that I have read uh, of people's take on it, they're all extremely impressed. They're like, oh, yeah, these guys really knew what they were doing. And what it, what it is is what Linus's essential argument is, is even if they have one part of, of an implementation that has an NSA backdoor, it's one component of a, in a chorus of, of uh, data points that are used to generate something random. Right. So it's, it's not really a big deal. But you know, people are still people are still concerned about it, and I'm curious. I thought maybe we'd go uh, over to our mumble room where we yeah. have a, a fine group of paranoids and uh, ask anybody <laughs> in here if uh, you guys are you concerned about NSA backdoors and Linux? And now that we know that maybe it doesn't have to be a code that's been uh, compromised, but it's could just be a standard that a good programmer is following that's been compromised. Uh, do, what do you think of Linus's response? And are you concerned? I open it to the room. Floor is yours. No. Nobody has anything. Well, to be honest, it's kind of hard to keep track of the the live stream versus the. Oh, you guys are on delay. Oh, it okay. is. It is. There's a bit of lag. You don't hear us in here. Oh no! Shit. You you mute your you when you when you oh, right. yourself. No, yeah. I don't okay. hear anything. All right. Well, I won't do that again. I'm sorry. So I hear uh, you now. Okay. So the question is: Is are you concerned about NSA backdoors because these standards have been influenced in Linux? And are you current on what Linus's response to all this was? And what do you think of it? Was he over the top? Was he being too hard? A lot of people have said that this is redirecting the conversation from the actual concern about the NSA having a backdoor into a standard, and and, and the conversation is now about Linus's behavior. Typically, Linus has always been very direct, hasn't he, and very open with his comments that he's made in the past. Um, but like, I I have to touch on what Matt said. If anybody needs to get your information bad enough, they will get it regardless of what your cryptography is or security measures that you're using. So, in a way, I, I kind of agree with Linus as well. Okay. Yeah, so do I. I mean, there's a lot of FUD going on about this NSA thing as far as I understand it. And uh, Linux users, despite their, their expertise, are not are not immune to FUD. So that's the thing. I mean, Linus Torvalds built the kernel literally from scratch. He knows what he's doing. I think people should trust him more rather than, you know, just say that, oh, no, he's he sold out to the NSA and he's this and he's that. I think we need to trust the man who, who built this. Yeah, it is interesting that some people know. have said that Linus sold out to the NSA. People even said that, you know, uh, Linus stepped in and, and pushed this NSA standard in when people were pushing against it. Uh, so there's been a bit of uh, there has been a bit of uh, name calling in this whole thing and and accusations. I, I really don't I really don't think that Linus would sell out to anybody because he's he's very protective of the Linux kernel itself. And like Davil said, he built it you know from from the ground up himself more or less. Mm-hmm. And so so I really don't think he would sell it, sell it out to anybody. Yeah. Okay. I kind of I'm kind of along the same lines. Any thoughts on that? Any more thoughts on that one, Matt? No, I think everybody about covered it. I mean, at the end of the day, um, li- unless his family is being held in a bunker somewhere, I don't see him. I don't see him budging. And if that happens, we will, on that moment, send uh, send you know in a, a SWAT team of Linux ninjas to rescue his family so he can get back to the kernel development. We could Just assemble it right here on Mumble. That's right. The rescue operation yeah. right here. You bet. Even if we have to wear monkey suits to do it. That's, Absolutely. That could be our. That could be our call sign. You know, that could be our uniform. I like it. Monkey suit one, monkey suit two. Yep. All right, Mumble Room. Thanks for the thoughts. Stand by. We'll have more here in a minute. Um, so one story I want to touch on that just sort of hurts my heart deeply came up. I uh, didn't get a chance to talk about it in the Linux Action Show because I, I think it did come out before. Uh, let's see, it came out on the seventh. So what? And today is the ninth, and last was. So yeah, it came out on Saturday. Um, so Good Old Games made a public statement about their plans to support Linux. And Good Old Games is actually a former sponsor of the Linux Action Show, so that might have influenced some of this a little bit. The fact that they sponsored a Linux show might have maybe set the wrong expectation. Um, but you know, at the time, the point we were trying to make was that you know there's a lot of great DOSBox games that work too. Right. Uh, so people continue to push GOG, and uh, they say, uh, quote unquote, for the foreseeable future, they don't plan to support Linux due to fragmentation. Here's the quote. And this is uh, the head of PR speaking from uh, Good Old Games. He says, For every game we release, we provide a money-back guarantee. If we can't get the game working on the the customer's computer with the help of our support team, we return the money. He goes on to say, The architecture of Linux, with many common distros, each of them updating fairly often, makes this incredibly challenging for any digital distribution company to be able to properly test the game in question. 
and then provide support for the release, all of which our users are accustomed to. So no plans for the foreseeable future because there's no way the economics of Linux support makes sense for us. Good Old Games is investigating how to do it in a variety of issues beyond Linux support, so don't give up hope, but just don't expect it tomorrow either. Hmm. So here's my interpretation of it, like comparing them to, and I, this is a bad comparison, but it gives you an idea, comparing them to Steam, for example. Steam basically is a catch-all working with, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, a multitude of different developers, each developing their own games. Uh, GOG, if I'm understanding correctly, basically is a not only the distributor, but is also porting these games so that they will uh, run on the operating systems that they support. So basically, they're in charge of supporting multiple titles, where Steam is not. Steam is basically the dis- the distribution arm. That's really all okay. they're... Okay. I mean, fair point. You're right. Good yeah, Old Games so has I, a lot I, more hands on a game. I mean, they're not right. really porting so much as not, not porting, they're generally I mean, like packaging yeah. it up maybe like into right. an, to an, like an emulated environment and making making it so it's just right. like a double click experience when in the past it was like totally. load multiple CD-ROMs. Yeah, but you're right. They're more hands-on than Steam is in some Absolutely. ways. Absolutely. Yeah, so Steam's got off easy in the fact that the the really deep development is the developer's problem from what I'm understanding. And so for GOG, I can see it from their perspective of that they're a completely different business model. I mean, there there's no way that they can possibly go to that level. Now, Backtracking a little bit, I do think that if they felt it was worth it, they could absolutely choose to support Ubuntu. I don't understand, or like OpenSUSE or whatever. Why not Ubuntu and these dozen games? Does it have to be? Because right. honestly, there's probably about thirty games I want to buy from GOG. And see, I think that they would need. If I was, if I was GOG, I'd say, look, we're not ready to make that financial investment, but at the same time, we don't want to drop drop the ball on you guys completely. We're willing to put in the man hours to do maybe a Kickstarter campaign or something like that. Yes, you know, you know, something to kick some cash around. I, I think what your argument is is a lot is is quite reasonable. The problem is, is when I read that, and I think a lot of people, just based on the reactions I've been seeing online, is you know, when I read that, I it honestly sounds ignorant of the of the market realities because I think now I guess you can't quite say steam has proven anything just yet, but what you, because it really hasn't. I mean, it's been very, it's been awesome at the beginning, but it's the, the, the stats are so messy that they're really hard to interpret. And and when you're, when you're the, when you're the numbers guy, the CEO can be amped all to hell and he goes to the CFO and the CFO is going, yeah, are you nuts? (laughs) You know, it's not going to happen. It just seems like to me, a lot of these developers, like we played the clip um, in last, last week where they said, you know, uh, they want to move away from DirectX because they need to move away from Windows. Mm -hmm. We see Steam and Valve actively trying to push an alternative viable marketplace on Linux because they're concerned about Windows. Shouldn't good old game be kind of sitting in their seat right now going, gosh, you know, we're making old DOS games and, we're making some of these old Windows 95, 98, and or now beyond that, too. They also do new games now, too. But we're making a lot of these games t- to work on Windows, and that is moving fastly away from their their target market. I think the problem is that they look at their existing numbers, and they're probably pretty comfortable with it. And they basically say, look, Steam is very much a, a, a bleeding-edge company. They're, they're really going for the bleeding edge. They're looking five years down the road. Uh, GOG is probably looking at next month and saying, eh, you know – when it's a problem, we'll address it. But why, why, why do this when we can let other folks pave the way? And if it starts looking like the, the tide's shifting, we'll jump on board at that point. I can't necessarily – if I, if I was a non-Linux user, I would totally agree with them. As a Linux user, I think it sucks. But as a non-Linux user, financially, I, I get it for their business model because they're not, they're not like other uh, development companies. They are very much – they have something they're comfortable with and they see no reason to uh, change that. And they're a smaller shop. They're a smaller shop, yeah. But and they're just I, a totally different model. I, I would love to that, see, you know, like, you know, if they ever listen to this, if they ever hear this, here's Chris's advice to you. Pick your top five, ten games, focus them on Ubuntu, but do it in a way, like Steam has, where the community can step in and make it a flawless experience on, on their preferred platforms. I am an Arch Linux user, and I have never had a problem with a Steam game that is actually in full release. I've had games with very early games. And... I understand as an Arch user that I might run into an issue at some point because the supported platform is Ubuntu, but I'm making that choice. And I'm, I'm still willing to throw my money at Valve even if right. I have some issues. Um, so, and, and then I guess the other upshot to this is a lot of the uh, GOG games work fine under VirtualBox. See, that's, and this is what I'm talking about. So when they're pitching this to their financial guy, the financial guy is going, but you can do it this way already, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why are we having this conversation? It, it, becomes a, it becomes a numbers pitch. And so the idealism goes right out the window. And it sucks, and I wish it didn't, but financially, that's probably where they're at. They're a small shop, and they're going, this financially doesn't make a lick of sense to them. 
All right. Yeah, I could have almost, I could have predicted this outcome. We got you guys got to get in there and shake this out. Uh, the okay. straw poll is split down the middle. Our audience is split on every single thing we ever do. Oh my God. It is always split down the middle on every topic. And here it is in oh living God. proof right here. 21 it, votes for, yeah, uh, notes, uh, 20 votes for Star Trek. Uh-huh. 49. You know, it's like, it's, it's, uh, it, oh. people got to go in there and vote. Worst case scenario, if for some reason we find ourselves in a position to where it is literally a split tie, you and I each cast a vote. That's true. Solved. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, I think I think the I think the uh, chat room can can help us here. Go to strawpool.me okay. 421777. Get it done, people. Get it done. It is in your hands. All right. Well, I want to spend a little time on email because that's one of the main things that the show is Kind of, oh yeah, that's what we were going to do for yeah. the show, right? And we just we, there's been so many interesting things to dig into that it you know it's we've been spoiled really. However, this week I, I set aside a bunch of emails ahead of time to make nice. sure we got to some. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a couple. Are you ready? I'm ready. Uh, so uh, the first one comes in from John. He says, "Hi Chris and Matt, I caught some of your conversation today on uh, Linux Unplugged. This is last week's episode. Hmm. I just want to add my opinion that uh, I agree Linux users." can be cheap but i think that most people who use software are cheap to an extent most people have a real have a real life and real money concerns and they don't want to pay for software if they don't have to the only difference between linux users and everyone else is that on linux there's a ton of functionality that's just given that functionality is purchased on other platforms i suspect that the reason why the ubuntu app store doesn't sell software is because people don't really need it same for steam games by nature are a luxury when people have money problems games are not purchased now for my other related topic linux needs more proprietary software I posted this on Reddit. It may be a badly written post uh, that I'm sick of not having important programs on Linux. I think taking, uh, t- think talking about professional-grade, commercially-supported software that businesses have confidence in deploying. For me, in my field, engineering, this includes CAD software and simulation software. I think that it's a real reason why Linux is not taken off big time. I'm sure there are companies that would be willing to switch to Linux if they had their employees' workflow not broken. And just from a technical standpoint, I think that most people will agree that Linux is superior. The problem is the workflows are broken using Linux. Uh, he mentions mm-hmm. he refers to you know Jupyter Broadcasting's dependence on using a Hackintosh for our sure. video editing. Anyways, I wanted to suggest somewhere within your domain we could build a list of programs and brand names that your viewers need um, available on Linux to have completely working workflow. Uh, and you know, I was thinking, I was thinking that would be an interesting wiki thing on the subreddit. That'd be fantastic, actually. But good thoughts. He does. I, I know. I do agree that Linux distributions have a lot of built-in functionality. They do. Um, but over the years of using Linux, I've purchased a good handful of software. I've definitely purchased more software for the commercial platforms, even though I use them a lot less. Yeah, and see, for me, I found the opposite to be true. It's definitely made me more cost conscious. You know, I'll, I'll go to other operating systems and look at software that I would have readily available in Linux and think, "Oh, wow, you people pay for that." It, it changed my expectations. Um, but as far as what he was talking about uh, with AutoCAD and things like that, applications, proprietary applications at, at that that are available for their work, their existing workstation, and then asking them to drop that and then go to something that may not be as good on on a Linux distro, I can understand where they're coming from. And I think in, with Jupyter Broadcasting specifically, we use the operating system experience that's best for that particular need. Um, we use a lot of Linux. We do use some OS X, but we mostly by and large, are using more and more Linux than we used to. And so I think that it it doesn't have to be an all-or-nothing kind of situation. I think that you can, in fact, have your dedicated uh, setups for what works best for that particular situation. But if someone's just working in an office document, there's no reason why they can't and and we've seen this on in other countries to why they can't look at uh, open source alternatives. Yeah, so. and I'll tell you, you know, as I've especially on for unplugged, as I've moved more production onto um all of these audio based shows almost mm-hmm. almost the majority except for just clipping the ends is done on Linux now. However, um for the video shows it's still not quite there yet. And uh, I'll tell you though, as I've moved more of the work process over to the Linux box, it's so nice where like one okay, one of the things that's really kind of nice is there's so many ubiquitous ways on Linux to mount a file system. So like uh, if the easiest way for me to get to one box is NFS and on the other box where maybe I'm grabbing yeah. a source file off the Hackintosh, you know, maybe I'll do it because Samba sucks on Mac OS X so yeah. badly. I, but, I, you know, on Linux, no bigs, not a problem, not affected. I just do an SFTP mount and boom, I pull the files. Like it's nice to have like all of this extra versatility that is useful in Linux in general also is great in, in a production workflow. And I can uh, I can. I can. I feel like I've I've made more of a custom workflow now because of the flexibility that gives me. Like, um, I've been. It's kind of happened at around the same time that I'm implementing that uh, storage system in the in the studio. So, like, 
Uh, I've been able to integrate NFS at a much deeper level now into the production workflow, and it makes switching between the different systems so awesome. And BitTorrent Sync is now doing a lot of the lifting behind the scenes. So if I create an asset on the Hackintosh because I need motion, you know, that's there's an example of an application motion and After Effects. Um, there's just literally nothing else to do. Blender is not the Blender is great, but Blender is not the type of you know, Blender doesn't create what I need it to create to do our motion intros and things like that. That's right. So, yep. but I can create that motion intro on on a on a Hackintosh, export it out on the NFS share. Bob's your uncle. I open up on the Linux box, and now I'm slap, slapping it down, and I'm good to go. So it's 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 getting easier to move between them, but it's definitely there's certain things that are locked up into different operating systems. Mm-hmm. But with a common backend file system and a common name working space for everything, where everything can you know knows how to connect to each other. It, it kind of just it really feels like well that's not so much a Mac. That's the motion output machine, right? That's exactly. The, it's like it's like exactly. this. It's almost like if I'm in a shop, like you've got a, you've got machines that puts airs and you've got machines that puts air in tires, and you've got machines that take oil out. You know, you got all these different. That's what it feels like to me. And uh, well, it's like a POS system. Sometimes they run yeah, Linux. Sometimes they run other stuff. You don't care. It's a POS system. It I mean, really is. It really is an appliance. Like if I look at it right now, you know, this thing is running OS ten seven dot four. It's never once been nothing on it has except for some of the applications, but like none of the operating systems, none of the main production software has been updated since the moment it went into production because yeah. it that is a. That is generally how it works in a business. You get a stable, functioning system, and because I don't have to do security updates on Final Cut, it's not a huge issue. You get a stable workflow where everything's compatible and all the scripts work with everything, where everything goes out, all that kind of stuff. You just it becomes an appliance in a, in a lot of ways. Exactly. So I move on. I but thanks, John, for the email. Uh, yeah. Zaytech wrote and he said, "I did not see ad- this addressed in Linux Unplugged, so I'm just going to send it in to you guys." As for Linux users that are cheap, I would say, yeah. That's why we picked a free OS and love it. Not much Linux users are able to completely give up Windows either, and that's where the wallet drains go. I, I, have, how, I have, however, been running Linux and only Linux for four years, and now I've decided that the money that would have gone to some big corporations will go to small shops and give them something at a good, that give me something at a good price. Donations are one way that Linux users spend money, and uh, and that may not be properly accounted for. I donated to several products and and uh, bought a, a new. Uh, um, Oh, the LN Sync, which is a great Google Drive client. And I'm oh. also addicted to purchasing the Humble Bundles. Also, my netbook just died, so I'm going to get a System76 machine soon. Uh, he's got to work out some shipping problems. Well, they can help you with that. Love the show. Hope to chat with you on Mumble someday. Well, I wonder if he's on Mumble right now. I don't yeah, know. that'd be awesome. That'd be a good time for it, you know? Yeah, I don't see him on there. Uh, all right, uh, we'll get to our last email. and uh, Or actually, it's not our last email, but our second to last or so. Hi, Matt and Chris. You were talking about self-host, about a lot about self-hosted cloud storage, e.g., own cloud and BitTorrent sync, but you never talked about the open source tool C file, which is at uh, C file s e a f i l e dot com. It uses a version control model similar to Git. While own cloud sucks at syncing a lot of small files, C file is rock solid in this area. Maybe you should have a look at it. Greetings, Marcel from Germany. Interesting. Uh, I haven't checked out C file yet, but that's like the second or third person who sent in an email, kind of recommending it. So you might know. have to check into that. Yeah, yeah I, I I would be curious to hear people's uh, experiences with it. Um, I'm pretty happy, though, now with my current implementation. It's going to be hard to break me away from that. <laughs> uh, we also, in the subreddit, uh, somebody sent in a service that looks pretty interesting. I don't know about the security, so I'm not going to say I vouch for it. But the concept is pretty cool. Uh, it was a BitTorrent Sync remote storage. It uh, was submitted by Army One, or Arm, Army, I guess. It's in cloud, in cloudably, in cloudably. Um, boy, I'm not exactly sure how you say that. Incloudably. 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 It's like incredible, only cloudably. Incloudably.com. And it's a whole, they do a whole bunch of, um, like DDoS protection and storage stuff. But one of the products they are offering now is like, you know, you go buy it, is a BitTorrent sync remote hosted. So they are reselling like a sync dump location and you use that as backup. Now the transfer is AES 256 encrypted, but I don't know what the storage is where Spider Oak is pretty explicit about that. So I don't know. You can check it out. We have a link to that in the uh, summary. It's worth checking out. I mean, like I said, we can't necessarily recommend it, but it's certainly worth investigating on your own accord. So Now, the big question, Matt, before All we right. get to the poll. Actually, maybe we'll save the poll for the end of the DS9 stuff. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-mm. I don't know. We'll see. If people want to go do one more vote, you guys get a chance. If anybody wouldn't mind pasting that link in the chat room. Okay, Matt. Now, the big question of the day. What is Chris going to wear on Monkey Suit Day? <laughs> 
Oh, my goodness. So this is a great question. So for those of you that aren't aware, I have a, a birthday wish list that's been put out there on Amazon. And one of the items on there Which was, is at fact, MattHartley.com oh, slash yeah, birthday. At, that's right, MattHartley.com slash birthday. Uh, there's still plenty of stuff on there. I'm desperately trying to get the Zone Alarm stuff put together or Zone Minder stuff put together. Yeah, right? that'd, anyway, be aw- that'd be a great segment. Oh, uh, and I've got a, I got a, I got an idea for that. I'll get to later. But anyway, getting back to the monkey suit, and I don't want to take away from that. So the <laughs> monkey suit was on the was on the list, and I was and that was totally more for you guys than it was for me because I'm basically just going to sit and sweat in this thing. But I put it out there, and sure enough, someone did pick that up, and that's awesome. And what we're trying to figure out now is I'm going to be wearing this for both Halloween as well as later on in 2014. Well, so I, and, is that a you know, good idea no. though, or should you save it for the big event? Because it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like seeing the bride the bride before uh, the wedding. I, I think I think they've been patient enough. I'm willing to do it. I think it'd be fun for Halloween to do. Okay, you're right. Um, you know, right, do uh, we have is the episode on Halloween or is it? I don't know where it falls, but I think it'd be I think it'd be fun, kind of fun to do. So, okay. You know, right. and I did I did throw that well, out. Well, I should wear a costume if it's on Halloween. I mean, that's Well, just... a few people suggested banana. That seemed a little <laughs> oh, fa- that man. seemed a little phallic and strange. Uh, so I decided geez. to maybe sidetrack off that. Uh maybe go for another I don't know. Not sure what a good alternative would be. So maybe we should put it to a vote. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh we'll have to come up with <laughs> options. We'll have to come up with options and see where everybody falls down. I uh you know, Tux Penguin would be cool. I wonder if there's a Tux Penguin if you guys find, find if you guys find good costumes on Amazon, link them yeah. to us. Like in the in in the okay. So well, you know, we put the uh, feedback thread in the subreddit for this show, in the comments in there. If you guys uh, if you guys find it, put it in there. Or I guess you could submit it to Matt Monkey Suit. Or so go yeah. to reddit.com slash r slash Matt Monkey Suit or mattmonkeysuit.reddit.com. <laughs> yeah, someone made, someone made a subreddit. I couldn't believe that. So I you know I I appeared in there. It's like all right, that's cool. Oh you know. wow. Well, I like that big clock they got off you up there too. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so I think maybe maybe what we'll do is since we're gonna get into a bunch of Star Trek stuff. Yeah. And uh, oh, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have uh, I have I have a few clips I want to play to kind of to warm us okay. up. But I I think maybe we should let the Linux people who don't want to talk about Star Trek maybe we'll just say okay this is where you can sign out. So uh, I'll leave I'll I'll leave you with uh, a couple if you're gonna leave us and not join us for the awesome DS9 chat that is about to ensue. <laughs> uh, I want to let you know that you can contact us by emailing us at linuxactionshow at jupiterbroadcasting.com or popping the contact link at the top of our site, or even better, the got, we got that subreddit over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com, and we'd love to have you join us over there. The uh, Unplugged Show is live at 2 p.m. Pacific, which is 9 p.m. UTC over at jblive.tv and jblive.info. That's the audio stream. We've got mobile versions of that. And don't forget uh, to go to linux.ting.com to save yourself something. Um, and... Uh, Yes, we have we have uh I think that's probably all the business to cover before we get into the Star Trek stuff. Yeah. But I just wanted to say officially we are now getting into the Star Trek stuff. We will unveil the poll at the end of the Star Trek stuff. So you guys still have a chance to vote on the poll though. So we're not all Star Trek stuff. Okay, Matt. All right. So, uh last week I said, "Hey, you know, I've kind of been getting into DS9 and uh trying to find where it fits in my Star Trek lineup. Um I've been questioning my 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 Voyagerness and my my DS9s lately. And uh after just recently rewatching a lot of TNG because they went on Blu-ray, I felt like it was perhaps the greatest Star Trek of all time. And then I thought, well, I really can't make that declaration without digging into DS9. Right. And so I should have waited till the DS9 Blu-rays came out, but I just decided we had to go into it. Oh, uh, by the way, um, just a quick mention. Nexu is, is working on a Samsung smart TV app. How cool is that? Whoa. Yeah, so nice. people have Samsung smart TVs, which has got to be a lot of people, I would think. We'll soon be able oh. to watch uh, the uh, the Jupiter Broadcasting goodness on the uh, Samsung TV. So thanks to Nexus. We'll give you guys a heads up when he gets that. Okay. So uh, we decided to pick Emissary. That's uh, DS9 Season 1, Episode 1. This is actually a two-parter, so it's actually Episode 1 and 2. So next week we'll be watching Episode 3, technically. I thought maybe um, I'd just give you a little bit of trivia about this episode before we got rolling, okay? All righty. As is in tradition of one of my favorite podcasts, Mission Log, which if you guys are Star Trek fans, go listen to Mission Log Podcast. Um, so a little trivia. Did you know, but you didn't, the sequence of Dax and Cisco within the wormhole where they're flying through the wormhole was actually one of the f- last sequences filmed. And that was filmed on October 24th, 1992. This is the 20th anniversary. This year is the 20th anniversary of deep space nine. Um, by the way, Hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. By the way, uh, this is the only episode where in the intro, they don't show the wormhole. Because they didn't want to give it away in the opening uh, credits. Right. So in the opening right. credits, it's all just stars. And then in syndication later on, and mm-hmm. in, fo- in some foreign language versions, they just went right to wormhole. But in the intro credits for this episode, there is no wormhole. 
so also uh, for the scene depicting Cisco where he's idling in the wormhole with the prophets, they uh, you know that really super crazy white effect they had. The director of photography used diffusion filters and overexposed the image as to achieve the effect of the white bleeding into Cisco's skin. And the big number here, 250 special effect shots were created for this episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And one of the things that's quite interesting about Deep Space Nine is, uh, oh, I'm going to have to, uh, I'll see, can I, mm-hmm, hmm. well, I have to mute, sorry, Mumble Room, I have to mute you guys again because I have to play some clips, but uh, we'll be back soon. Um, one of the uh, one of the things that is pretty interesting about Deep Space Nine is it actually opens the first line spoken are by Picard, which means mm-hmm. Picard right. opens TNG and Deep Space Nine. Resistance is futile. You will disarm your weapons and escort us to Sector Zero Zero One. If you attempt to intervene. We will destroy you. Red alert. So pretty epic opening just right there. That's the first line spoken in this episode. And they're Lacutus, which is one of the strongest moments in Star Trek The Next Generation. The Borg were huge during this time. Oh, yeah, it was big time. So big time that's stuff. a strong opening. You open with the Borg, you open big, right? And it moves quick. It moves quick. Uh, what was important about that that entire piece right there is that it not only established you know the the interchange between uh, TNG and this now new show, but it also helped in critical important character building for Cisco. I mean, it, you yeah. know his history and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it was a it was a big deal. It's really an, and it's an interesting way to intertwine in, into Trek lore a really pivotal moment with the new character to really make those universe, universes come together. And of course, these first few moments are pivotal throughout the entire episode. They come back to it over and over again. Yep. And one of the things that, honestly, at this time, the, I remember, and I was curious to see if I'd have the same uh, effect now. After watching this, I really didn't like the character of Cisco. And one of the things that put me off about Cisco is he seemed a lot more concerned about his wife than his whole crew. I mean, he's supposed to be the commander of this ship, of his crew, uh, or even of his son. Jennifer! Jake! Warning. Damage to warp core. Containment failure in three minutes. I'm going to get your mom. You're going to be okay. Okay, Jake. We'll get your mom out and we'll get out of here. ship and he's this whole time as the commander of a starship he's completely worthless like they're dragging him to the ship he's he's right. not helping he's not giving any orders he's completely incapacitated well so here's the thing that and i and I, i've heard other people mention similar things but they don't take into account remind me again how many other captains in the star trek uh, series various series were married and had their spouses on the ship with yeah them. Kirk, yeah and Kirk actually, didn't kirk didn't and so we never got to see that side of them well, and actually, yeah, it was uh, until this episode, it had only been established that Galaxy-class vessels had children on them. That's right, and this, exactly. this was the first time we'd seen a non-Galaxy-class. Uh, now, you know... And, and also look back at Picard with TNG. Remember when he thought he had a son? Right, you know, right, his, yeah, yeah. What a, how quickly he, his whole mindset of everything just did a 180, completely changed. So, I mean, realistically, yeah, my wife and I have days where we want to kill each other, but you put us on a ship, and if it's between my crew and my, and my wife... It's been fun, crew, but you know yeah, what? Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I think I see that now. See, at the Same. time when I was watching this, uh, I still feel like he's a little dismissive with the kid. Like the kid, oh yeah, here you go, and he just hands the kid off. He's there <laughs> freaking out about, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the kid's alive, the wife's dead, and he's like yeah, freaking out yeah. about the wife. Uh, but I agree with you now. Like with the perspective on right. that is, yeah, that you could see. But back then I was a kid; I wasn't really married. So, uh, but uh, 
The other part that really kind of put me off about Cisco is he was mean to my buddy Jean-Luc. I have a son that I'm raising alone, Captain. This is not the ideal environment. Unfortunately, as Starfleet officers, we do not always have the luxury to serve in an ideal environment. I realize that, sir. And I'm investigating the possibility of returning to Earth for civilian service. And perhaps Starfleet Command should be considering a replacement for you. That's probably a good idea. I'll look into it. In the meantime, however... In the meantime, I will do the job I've been ordered to do to the best of my ability, sir. Oh, snaps. Dismissed. Dismissed. So I was like, dude, he's being harsh on Picard. But I didn't really appreciate that from Cisco's perspective at this time, he's got a boy... And he's got a nice desk job. The boy's got a good, safe life. And now he's just been put out in the frontier. He's been put on the front lines. He's not too happy about it. Well, he's essentially put out into the you know, Siberia tundra. Si- yeah. Siberian tundra It's essentially what's happened here. And you've, you're basically, again, that's what I like about DS9 is that they look at things from it's, – it's less – I don't want to say frou-frou, but it's more it's deeper character stuff, not as much about the the next horizon, the next challenge, the next exploration, the next conflict. The, in the first in the first season especially, especially the first episode, it's very much about the people and the interaction and and how different events change how we look at stuff. And someone who might have otherwise been a dedicated uh first off, you know, uh, I guess he would have been one commander, uh, you know, how quickly that can change when they're confronted with someone that potentially not only killed the life of the crew but also basically got off. I mean, really, yeah, what, yeah. what kind of slap on the wrist did the man get? He yeah, got yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you can totally see it now. And yeah. back then, I was like, why doesn't he like Picard? I get it now. <laughs> um, and it, things yeah. did kind of pick up and move real quick, right? You have yeah. uh, he makes a trip down to the uh, Bajorans in, in this really odd, like uh, commander. It's time to go, and he just all of a sudden he goes down to see this the the, the most holiest Bajoran of all Bajorans. And he goes down there, and she touches his ear a little bit, and then gives him a, a little a little bit of acid, aka one of the uh, prophet orbs, and uh, gets him kind of motivated. <laughs> right. So he takes this orb back to the station. This is where we meet Dax. We find out that Dax is a trill. All these characters are getting some pretty good setups. You know, you get lots of flashbacks are used to like show Dax getting surgery. Um, and so they go off to find a location of where these orbs came from, and they discover a wormhole, the first known stable wormhole. Now, this is going to be the show's hook because this adds a little spice because now they've got – they're on the very border of this brand new frontier, and that's why they're supposed to be – that's why supposedly the concept works. It's a stationary station because people are coming to them. And more importantly, this is the uh, – you know to borrow from Star Wars, this is like the cant- cantina on Tatooine. This is a non – uh, federated area. Yeah, it's this like, is, you, know, you know, no federation re- presence really. It's a western, this. and it's a frontier yeah. town. Odo's the it sheriff, is. right? Exactly. Um, um, yeah, and so it's and they're on the they're on the frontier. So of course, Cisco's got to go into this wormhole, and uh, he ends up getting trapped. Dax Dax gets taken out, but Cisco gets left behind for some reason. And what's the crew decide to do? They're strapped on the station. The station's currently orbiting Bajor. I love the logic. So they immediately say, well, Cisco's not here. Let's move the whole station to go rescue him. But the problem is, and I don't understand how this works. Maybe the chat room right. does. The problem was that darn station is too heavy. What would right. it take to move this station to the mouth of the wormhole? This isn't a starship, Major. We've got six working thrusters to power us, and that's it. A 160 million kilometer trip would take two months. It has to be there tomorrow. Well, that's not possible, sir. That wormhole might just reshape the future of this entire quadrant. The Bajorans have to stake a claim to it. And I have to admit that claim would be a lot stronger if there's a Federation presence to back it up. Couldn't you modify the subspace field output of the deflector generators? Just enough to create a low-level field around the station? Oh, Dax. So we could lower the inertial mass. If you can make the station lighter, those six thrusters will be all the power we need. This whole station could break apart like an egg if it doesn't work. I love that line there. This whole station could break apart like an egg. It kind of feels like an homage to Scotty a little bit. It totally does. It yeah. totally does. But now, if you listen carefully, that you can under you can, they actually tell you why they're bothering to do this to to, to rescue him. Yeah, yeah. It does actually because is actually he's smart. the face of the yeah he's the face of the Federation. They 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 have a, a report the, a, a, the start of a report. Basically, he doesn't. Kira's not liking anybody, but she's liking him a little more than she was before. And, you know, she's kind of warming up to him a little bit. And they mm-hmm. don't really want to have to break in a whole new guy. One of and, the things uh, that happens is uh, there's kind of an interaction between Cisco and Quark to get Quark to remain behind, which kind of impresses Kira. Like, oh, he actually handled that pretty well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally, totally owned him because, you know, w- this is our first real in-depth 
uh, you know, experience with Ferengi that isn't right. based on TNG logic right. to where they run around grunting with whips. Yeah, I mean, you know, in TNG, <laughs> they wrote them in there because they wanted them to be the new Klingons. Before they came up with the oh. Borg concept, they wanted them right. to be the new Klingons, and they realized very quickly, oh, these guys are laughable. So, <laughs> I mean, But really I think are, Quark yeah. single-handedly turns that image around and makes them into cunning, conniving capitalists. Oh, Quark is my hero. Yeah. I mean, the dude's awesome. Yeah. And Cisco kind of has like a real slow period during the show where he ends up in the wormhole uh, just like explaining time to aliens. My species lives in one point in time. And once we move beyond that point, it becomes the past. The future, all that is still to come, does not exist yet for us. Does not exist yet? That is the nature of linear existence. And if you examine it more closely, you will see that you do not need to fear me. It's 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 a it's a high level strong concept, but it's just a little slow. It, it felt like it dragged things down a little bit for me. I I was okay with it in that it was I, I considered it part of that character building process. Yeah. You know, if you're calling the prophets characters, and it allowed them to kind of you know it, it kind of intermingled a little bit. So I I was okay with it. And yeah, it, it was a little boring. And but, it's actually you know. a pretty good description of what time is like. Yeah. Like because they you know the, the one of the concepts is what is time in this movie and these aliens have they live in a re- in a reality where there just is no time. It's just, everything is what it is. It exists, and so having to like explain you know because sometimes with my son. I've, he's asked me, can I explain something? And I I have to explain it without using another word that needs to be explained. And they right. did a pretty good job there. But meanwhile, the real fun is actually still back on the station. There's a great O'Brien character uh, creating scene where he fights with the station computer to get the station to actually move. And this is like a thread that continues throughout the first or even second oh, yeah. season. And I love it. Partial field established. Instability at 12%. Partial field. A station's inertial mass low enough to break orbit. Procedure is not recommended. Damn it, I didn't ask for an opinion. Just tell me whether or not we can get enough thrust with only a partial field established. Affirmative. All right, thank you. Initiate transit mode, three-axis stabilization. Aye, sir. Engage thrusters. Field integrity declining. Instability at 21%. We've got to close that gap in the field. Or we'll tear ourselves into a million pieces. Warning. Subspace field collapse in 60 seconds. Computer, transfer energy from the inertial dampers to reinforce the subspace field. Procedure is not recommended. Damn it. Transfer the energy. Unable to comply. Level 1 safety protocols have cancelled request. Cancelled? Warning. Subspace field collapse in 30 seconds. I'm going to transfer it manually. On my mark, redirect the flow to the deflectors. And keep the power balanced. Aye, sir. Field collapse in 15 seconds. Now. Field energy now within flight tolerances. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, and there's also a great scene where he's trying to get the transporter to work, and he ends up just kicking it. <laughs> well, and that's what's awesome is that this is the series, even it's through season one, that really established his character. Yeah, yeah. And there's a there's an awkward yet appropriate goodbye between him and Picard, where and and I couldn't quite understand what they were trying to tell me. Uh, O'Brien visits the bridge, spends time looking at the uh, at the uh, ready room, but doesn't go in to say goodbye. Then goes to the transporter, but Picard stops him before he beams out. To say goodbye, and like Picard is being more emotional than O'Brien. Like he's trying to say, like you know, this was your favorite transporter room, blah blah blah. And, and O'Brien's like, yeah, whatever, sir. And, and then and then and he gets up on the pad and gets and tells him to beam him out. And meanwhile, Picard's yeah. like sitting there heartbroken. I like, but I guess you know they were just trying to do a handoff, and it, that it would that is how two guys would do it. Like it would be oh, awkward yeah. because it would be two guys, right? It's well, Picard's acting like a girl. I mean, no, not no offense, but I mean he's, he's acting much more, uh, you know, in that mindset of the, he has things he wants to express. Yeah, guys, of course, don't want to express anything, right? And that's kind of how we're wired. So, yeah. And it's interesting because they kind of come back on it later on in DS Nine, where every now and then you wonder if maybe O'Brien wasn't always totally happy on the Enterprise. Um, now. There is uh, another really strong character moment, and this time it's with Kira. Their lead ship is hailing us. Gulgisad wants an answer. Are you ready, Mr. O'Brien? Yes, sir. When they penetrate our Thoron field, it should raise a few eyebrows over there. 
right then, let's give them our answer. Fire six photon torpedoes across Jassad's bow. We only have six photons, Major. I love that. We're not gonna win <laughs> this battle with torpedoes, Chief. Aye, sir. An urgent hail from Jassad. Looks like we got his attention. On screen. This is your answer? You don't think Starfleet took command of this space station without the ability to defend it, do you? Defend it? <laughs> your space station could not defend itself against one Cardassian warship. You're probably right, Jasad. And if you were dealing with a Starfleet officer, they'd probably admit we have a hopeless cause here. But I am just a Bajoran who's been fighting a hopeless cause against the Cardassians all her life. So if you want a war, I'll give you one. Love that. And it's so perfect. She plays it so well. And the chat room picked up on something. Everybody calls her Sir. And DS9 followed that a lot more closely. Like when Dax took over the Defiant later on in the series, everyone called her Captain, even though her rank, right. rank was like Lieutenant Commander. They followed a lot of more naval traditions. In fact, another example of DS9 having some really smart dialogue that kind of keeps you in that world, keeps you in that reality, they're creating a universe, is right after that, right after, uh, that line from Kira, the camera pans over to O'Brien, and he starts to talk, and before he even finishes the sentence, you know what joke he's going to make. And, I, and these types of jokes, they often bug me on Star Trek because they're essentially a joke that we make using current 20th century references, but instead, DS9 takes it as an opportunity to enrich the reality. Major... Remind me never to get into a game of Roulade and Wild Draw with you. So, you know, you know he means poker. I'm never going to play poker because you got a good bluff. You, right. you, you got a good bluff face, but they don't say poker because that's a human reference in the, for the, you know, 20, 21st century. But I think it's a truism that, you know, while the verbiage may be different, I think it dates back further. Just it probably, yeah. Yeah. you know, uses different language, I'm sure. Right. That, but, but I'm sure they're. It's like exactly like the, 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 that. That that turn of phrase is still used, but the, like in they use different things. Like in, in DS9, instead of using coffee, they get Ractaginos, right? right? A lot of things like that. And I just I just appreciated that. And uh, then, of course, after the uh, tension has been mounted and built properly, uh, there's only one person who can come back and save the day at this point. And of course, it's the last few minutes of this this episode, and that would be Captain Cisco coming back from the wormhole. And remember, at this point in the show, the Cardassians believe that it wasn't a wormhole that took away Dukat's ship. It was perhaps the station. And so right. that's why they're threatening to attack the station and they want to take it over again. And just as their attack on the station is reaching a climax... Signal the lead Cardassian ship that we will proceed with... Major, I'm picking up a huge neutrino disturbance 15 kilometers off the forward docking ring. It's the wormhole. On screen. Hail the lead ship. What did I tell you, Jassad? There's your wormhole! And he's got Dakot ship and a tractor beam. Rio Grande to DS9. Which for Cardassians Go is a ahead, big Commander. statement because Guard that's a show of weakness. That's yep. a lot like a dog being on a leash scene to other dogs. Exactly. It's and it diffuses the situation. He's like, hey, I've noticed you have a few problems. Of course, he doesn't say, why the hell have you moved my station? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Right, which I had a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then at the end of the episode, uh, Cisco talks to Picard and makes good. Well, you've put Bajor on the map, Commander. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet... One of our most important posts. Captain, regarding our conversation about someone Pete, to replace now me, it's yes, I'm sorry I haven't had time yet to communicate that to command. I would prefer you ignore it, sir. I'm not sure that I can. Are you certain that's what you want? Because we cannot afford to have a commanding officer who is... I'm certain, sir. There you go. He's certain he was he was energized by the experience and now he's ready for the uh, for the challenge. And I was kind of surprised at how often Picard actually popped up through this episode. I, you know, I just expected yeah. a quick cameo and that would be it. But he actually had a reoccurring role throughout this two hour episode. True. This is true. And I think it definitely sets 
sets because I think all these events needed to happen for that first season to make any sense. We needed to understand his psychology. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I, that's kind of why we spent a little extra time on this episode because it really is the foundation for the rest of the series. That's one of the things that's kind of interesting about DS9. Although in TNG they managed to bring it back home too. But uh, so before we go to the mumble room and get their thoughts and on all of this, give them a time to catch up on the stream. Matt, after watching yes. this again, how did it land on you? Does it, a does it hold up? And B, does it where where does it leave you? Is, is like your overall review? I maintain that you know I of course we haven't gotten to where we really got to enjoy Quark in its in its fullness yet. We haven't even touched on Nog or any of these other things. But I think as far as the characters that really made their their uh, shining moment in this first episode, it really drives home for me that this was a piece of Star Trek that needed to happen without the utopian stuff, without the, you know, just explore, explore, explore more stuff that we as humans in the 21st century can relate to. I I think that we, it's more relatable in our day-to-day struggles, in our uh, war conflicts, all these things. I think it, it lets us know that it, Star Trek isn't just utopian. Yeah. I I guess. And and that, and that, um, it actually caused some internal strife because you still had the TNG crew around, a lot of the people mm-hmm. who were there in the original Roddenberry days. Oh, yeah. There was some internal strife about that, if, if Gene would yeah. approve of it or not. But, you know, you touched on something kind of, you know, one of the things that DS9 was really good at was taking current events and reflecting them into the future, abstracting them away so that way we could have a rational conversation without special interest getting their feelings hurt. Right. And one of the things that struck me through this, and it's not a direct parallel at all, but there is a lot of similarities between what the potential outcome could be in Syria and the state of the Bajoran people. Like, and, and, and there's an oppressive regime. Um, there is a, a falling of that regime. There is a civil government that is established. And then that civil government requests that this larger empire, AKA the Federation comes in and, and brings in military to help them. And then a local aggressor in their backyard, AKA, you know, another Eastern middle Eastern country, you know, Iran, something like that is an aggressor in their backyard who the the the, uh, the new hired guns have to constantly keep an eye on. I mean, there's a lot of reflections in modern day politics intertwined into this first episode of DS9 too. And in, in my mind, that makes it hold up even stronger. Oh, I, w- I would say so. And I think that entire set of circumstances, both in the past, now, and even in the future, is a timeless thing. Um, I've I've seen it time and time again. You know, it we, it seems like it's a constant cycle. And so it's interesting that even in a whole other part of the universe or another part of the galaxy, in this particular case, that something so familiar can still unravel despite the fact that they're not even you know it doesn't involve humans. Mm-hmm. History continues to repeat yeah. itself. All right, so until I'll, humans insert themselves. Anyway. I'll ask yeah. the mumble room uh, guys in the room. I'll open the floor to you. Did anybody get a chance to watch along with us? And what were your impressions of uh, the first episode of Deep Space Nine? How does it hold up as a Star Trek? premiere you got think of it now at this point in time we've seen every star trek premiere there's been we've seen enterprise tng voyager even toss if you if you've got the gray hairs to prove it and where does ds9 fit into those other star trek premieres mumble room i bring it to you well i watched it uh well i never really got into ds9 when it was on tv uh it it, it it never really grabbed me, but I watched the first episode this time and uh, really watched it. And uh, yeah, I, I I do enjoy it. It it has some weaknesses. Um, for instance, the 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 the, the moment in, that Cisco was in the wormhole, he was stuck there. I felt that it was going on. It was dragging along a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. at least that's my opinion. But mm-hmm. uh, I did like the episode. Yeah, it, it was a strong start. Yeah. I, I think it was a pretty strong start. Anybody else want to chime in before we wrap up? Yeah, all right, all right, yeah. go on. Yeah, I have to admit that the beginning uh, of the episode, it, it you know, it, it kind of showed what was going to happen, especially later on um, in some of the later episodes with a fast pace of action, which you didn't normally see in the previous uh, seasons and series of uh, Star Trek. But the good thing about um, this was a bit grittier. Um, you could you could definitely see what was going to be happening in the future. Excellent point. Excellent point. All right, guys. Any last thoughts? Anybody else? Yeah, all I'd like to say about DS9 is that it has diversity to Star Trek. It says that mm. it's not just about flying about in space and exploring new worlds or whatever. There is a universe there. There is a people there. There is a culture. There is everything. There's depth here. There's diversity here, right? Which you exactly. cannot ignore. 
Yeah, I, I think I would maybe argue that it is the uh, that it is the absolute. Uh, and I'm gonna I'll wrap it there because we're running a little long. Uh, but thank you, Mumble Room. I I would argue that I think it is maybe the strongest premiere of any Star Trek. Uh, and it does, you know, the show like all Star Treks gets better um, as yes. oh, as it yeah. goes on. But I think you know if you look at TNG, there's there's a lot. You know, you've got you've got Deanna in a cheerleader uniform. You've got <laughs> Wesley who's yeah. just derping up all over the place, right? <laughs> and by the way, I got a lot of respect for how they handle Jake throughout this whole series. But specifically here, there's a strong connection. Like when Cisco gets back on the station, and you know Jake sees him for the first time. I mean, I, that was touching to me as a dad. I thought they'd handled that really well. And instead of making Jake Wesley 2.0 or yeah. Echeb from Voyager, they handled him really well. And it's typically Star Trek really screws up kids really bad. They get it wrong a lot. And no, I don't Egypt, feel like they did. Egypt's a great example there because that was just – that was terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I felt like as far as strong openings go, yeah, some of the acting was a little rough because it's their first episode. But the effects were solid. The concepts were great. Um, and the execution was powerful. And it, it, Except for it moved, 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 and then wormhole. And then it moved, right. moved, moved, wormhole. All the right. scenes outside the wormhole, I really like. As soon as we get into the wormhole, I don't know, maybe I just need to get really stoned and maybe have a few beers or something. Then maybe <laughs> I would enjoy it. But as I'm sitting there watching this, I'm like, come on, this is two hours. You really got to spend this right. much time in here? But overall, I enjoyed it. All right, Matt. So okay. I know this uh, hasn't been popular with everyone, so we will do another straw poll. I have linked it in the show notes right now. So we will have two straw polls this week. The one that the people in the download and stream versions can watch later We'll have the voting poll to see if we should do this again. So in the Deep Space Nine Challenge, there will be a link at the top of that for the straw poll. And you go there and you vote if you want us to do this again next week. And if we get uh, if the yeses have it, then we will do episode three of DS9. And if the nopes have it, we'll drop it there and we'll just stick to other stuff. But I thought it was kind of fun. And it's I think there's benefits from time to time to taking our same community and uh, all the all of the people who, have, who hold similar interests and exploring other topics and, in, and and going into other things that we all enjoy because it is good to get out of that bubble and it is still good um, to have a you know the, the chat and the discussion and right. get people thinking. And it's it's also just kind of a fun way to get people to get into DS9 if they haven't been there before. So it's – it's uh, but I understand it might not be popular. So if people don't like it, we don't have to do it next time. Super quick piece of advice before I let it go. If you watched it back when it aired – Forget everything you ever watched. Watch it commercial free on Netflix. It's yeah. a completely different experience. I really felt like I, I, I really felt different. like I, I watched a different show in some ways. Yeah, yeah I really yep. did. All right, so here we go. But before we run our final, uh, our final tally for oh. uh, Sunday's topic, Friday edition. Or I'm sorry, Friday's topic. Friday edition of the Linux Action Show. Trek meets Linux or taking great notes on Linux. Uh, and the notes have it. With I did not expect that. With 43 votes, 56 percent. Well, wow. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few Star Trek app picks that work their way into the episode anyways. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Matt? Uh, I know what you're saying. Okay. All right. I can do the note thing. I got a couple of good note apps. I got a couple of good note apps. You and I will share notes after the show, Matt. Right. Yeah, you get what All I'm right. saying, Matt? I get what you're saying. Um, so, yeah, just a little reminder. We'll be doing Friday uh, edition of Linux Action Show at 10 a.m. Pacific over at JVLive.tv. No show on Sunday, but it actually should be available for download, hopefully around the regular live time. So you'll be able to just watch it on demand. Enjoy it that way. All right. Well, uh, thanks to the Mumble Room. Hey, you guys. Thanks for joining us today. You guys were awesome. I'm going to mute you here in a bit, but uh, we'll chat some more after the show. We keep going a little bit after the show, and uh, we'll uh, share yeah. some more thoughts. And uh, don't forget, we'd love to get more con- uh, more, uh, more topics, more uh, concepts to kick around. You can submit a lot of those, any of those, really, to linuxactionshow.reddit.com. That's a great place to get things into the show because now that, things, now that we've got two places to cover some of this stuff, stuff that doesn't make it into the big show might still make it into here, so stuff's got double the shot to make it into the show. Matt, you have a great week. Enjoy your ramp up to the big day. I will, I will, I will. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. I hope we see you back here. Don't forget to go vote in that straw poll if you liked it or didn't like it, because it's going to depend on your vote. So you got to show up and vote. We'll have a link to that in the show notes right under the Deep Space Nine challenge, as well as links to uh, where you can stream Deep Space Nine online if you have access to U.S. servers. If you get what I'm saying with that. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Unplugged. See you right back here next week.